On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Coming up on New York, New York, the unthinkable has happened. The New York Knickerbockers not only in the playoffs, hosting a first-round series. What a world. What a life. We got a lot more on that. We got you covered with all the baseball from the weekend. Should have been a perfect weekend from the Yankees. Sunday got away. The television voice of the New York Yankees, Michael Kay, will join us. The Mets and the Yankees have something in common right now. Injury issues. Stanton and Hicks. For the Mets, it's McNeil and Conforto. And what was a lost weekend for them against the Tampa Bay Rays. We got Molly Walker after a big win for the Islanders. And a ton of listener voicemails. All that more. New York, New York. Presented by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. It's coming up next. All righty. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in to episode 19 of New York, New York. We are truly JJ John Jastrzemski right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And... I am a little fried from my weekend down in Baltimore, but you know what will get me going? The fact that at some point next week, the NBA playoffs will start, not the plan, but the playoffs will start for real. And the New York Knickerbockers are going to have home court advantage. That's right. Home court advantage. In round one against the Atlanta Hawks. What a job. What a season. What a life. Period. The Knicks have beaten you down for the last decade. Really the last two decades, if we're being honest. This season came out of nowhere. It has been this feel-good joyride all damn year. And to actually go into the first round of the playoffs, regardless of what happens, Entertaining the thought that the Knicks can legitimately win a playoff series 
I feel like I'm living in fantasy land. I really do. Because I'm a positive person. The Knicks have taken a lot of that positivity out of me over the last 20 years. This is easily one of the most satisfying seasons I've enjoyed as a sports fan in a long, long time. These are the ones we love so much when they come out of nowhere, when you don't know what to expect. You see Julius Randle turning into the player he has become. You see the development of a guy like R.J. Barrett. You see the way that they are coached game after game after game. How do you not root for a team like that? How do you not fall in love with a team like that? And nothing was easy between Thursday and the last time you know we had a conversation and now. The Knicks had a scratch and claw to win every single one of those games. Easily could have lost to San Antonio. Easily could have lost to Charlotte. And you got the break of a lifetime with, uh, listen, the Celtics stink anyway. They're a lost cause now with Jalen Brown out for the year. But the Celtics basically took their entire team and said, yeah, we're not playing. We're rolling them out. We're casting them aside. And this game got hairy and got dicey in the final couple of seconds here in the fourth quarter. But Randall did his thing. Barrett did his thing. And the Knicks found a way. They needed to win these three games at home. They did not want to end up getting Milwaukee in the first round or getting Miami in the first round. Now we know the deal. Knicks, Hawks, round one. Let's fucking go. See, you got to drop in the F-words when it's actually appropriate. This one, I think, actually fits that hashtag of LFG. Because it's a series the Knicks can win. Yes, Trey Young can be a problem. Yes, the size of the Atlanta Hawks, Collins and Capella, could be problematic. Look at these three teams they could have ended up with. You're telling me the Knicks got the hardest of the three? No chance. Milwaukee, because they have Giannis. Miami, because they have pedigree. Atlanta's inexperienced. You hope that the Knicks can use that against them. Now, the Knicks are inexperienced, too. Let's be honest. You don't have a whole lot of playoff pedigree on this team, but you have a coach who's been through the wars in Thibodeau, and that you like. And if the Knicks are going to win this first-round series against Atlanta, neutralizing Young, neutralizing the Atlanta size, and getting after it on defense, and kind of dictating the terms of pacing I think it's going to be enormous in this series. I think it's going to decide the series. We got a week to dive into all that good stuff, which will be fun. That's the best part about the plan. I equate it to, and I haven't seen this in 20 years, but when your football team wins a playoff game, or I'll give you a better example, because I actually have gone through this. I went through it a couple months ago. When your college basketball team goes through the first week in the NCAA tournament, and you can, like, enjoy the next couple of days and dream and think about the possibilities. That's what you can do with the Knicks for the next few days. Watch these teams down at the bottom of the Eastern Conference, the Lakers, the Warriors, beat the snot out of one another, and you can start thinking about what your next couple of weeks are going to be. Yes, I can't believe we're living in this world. Yes, it has come out of nowhere. It has surprised me. 
The city, I think, has fallen in love with the Knicks. And know this. The Knicks playing in the first-round series will be the talk of the town. It's going to bother the Net fans when the back pages of the New York tabloids and this show and all the other shows are eating Nick and the Nets are buried. That's the way it is. That's the way it is. And eventually the Nets will get their shine if they're playing in the conference finals or the NBA finals. But the Knicks are going to be the story. And I understand it's my team. The Nets are not. But that's real talk. Anybody who's telling you otherwise is delusional or is just not paying attention. Home court advantage in the first round and getting the team that, to me, gives them the best chance of advancing. Awesome stuff. First round home court advantage for the Knicks. I, like, want to repeat it over and over and over again. I do. Because it doesn't seem real. And, yes, I'll admit this. If we went back in the time machine, we found Doc Brown, and we took it to... I don't know, opening night back in December. And you told me, JJ, the Knicks are not only going to be in the plan. The Knicks are not only going to be in the playoffs. They're going to be hosting a first out series. I would have called you every nasty name in the book. That's why Tom Thibodeau is the coach of the year. That's why to me, Julius Randle is the most improved player in the sport. Because the Knicks would not be doing what they were doing without those two guys. And we would not have this week of anticipation and excitement and all of this tied into one. Can't wait for next weekend. Can't freaking wait. I know Nick fan is going to be a little extra giddy. And that's okay. Embrace the giddiness. Embrace the giddiness. Voicemails right out of the gate. Not just one. A couple of Nick voicemails right out of the gate. Sorority, who do we got? Go New York. Go New York. Go. Yes, yes, yes. The Knicks sealed that number four spot, baby, by beating Simmons and Celtics. That's what I'm talking about. I don't want to hear a singer from the Celtics. Nothing about Stevens. Nothing about Tatum, who looked just fine on the sideline, bouncing up and down. I don't want to hear it with him. Please. We got this done. This is about the Knicks. Go, New York. Go, New York. Go. Jason from Stony Brook. I'm pumped up. Julius Randle for MVP, Julius Randle for most improved player, RJ Barrett, only 20 years old, getting it done, pumped up, baby. The Knicks are back. The Knicks are back. Tibbs is the coach of the year. I don't want to hear about anyone else but Tibbs. It's our time. We're back. We are back. Like I said, Embrace the giddy. Good for you, Jason. Let it all hang out, baby. That's what we do. That's how we roll around here. I want fired up. I want enthusiastic. I want you coming to the table and swinging for the fences. Jason, they're right out of the gate. I might have to sing the Go New York, Go New York song. They go and beat the Hawks. I'll take you up on that. Who's up next? JJ. This is Sean from Bloomfield. I could not be more excited about the New York Knicks right now. I could lift up a car like fucking E-Honda in Street Fighter right now. I could put my head through a brick wall. That's how excited I am about the Knickerbockers. 
I think this team can make a run. I'm down in the Jersey Shore tonight. I'm at a family party. No kids involved. I'll make out with Snooky tonight. Let's have a fucking night. Love you, bro. JJ, great show. Let's go next. How about the Jersey Shore bumping Parker House, Leggett's, DJ's, Bar A, where it all began for yours truly, rocking this summer with Nick playoff games on the TV screens. That's what I'm talking about. Anything can happen. Anything can happen, baby. Especially late night at the Jersey Shore, which is a scene. I miss my Jersey Shore days. It's been a while. And I'm not one of these, you know, like the show. No, when I talk Shore, I'm talking LBI. Not just Seaside Heights. I'm talking LBI. I'm talking Manasquan. I'm talking Ocean City. I'm talking Stone Harbor. All over. I know there are probably a lot of Shore guys and gals listening to the podcast mad that I didn't include their beloved hometown. I love you all. But yeah, summer in the city and down the shore is a lot more fun when the Knicks are still playing postseason basketball. And I think you'll have it Memorial Day weekend. I mean, unless something went horribly wrong for the Knicks, you should have a Memorial Day weekend. Who's up next? John, what's up? It's Jason from Sony Brook. Just wanted to call because, thank goodness, we have your podcast. We have New York, New York. It's the best thing Simmons ever did for the ringer and his whole platform here, which I love. And I'm listening to him and Jackie McMullen break down the end of the year NBA awards. And the fact that they give no love to the Knicks and Julius Randle and Tibbs, it's just it's just mind-boggling to me. So I just wanted to call to thank you for giving the love to all the New York, New York teams. And uh, to Simmons, let's just say this. The Celtics have won more championship than the Knicks in the last 21 years. Think about that. So for all the love he gives to the Celtics, the Celtics have won championship more than the Knicks in the last 21 years. Let that sink in. I'll talk to you later. He's not wrong on that. Celtics have been a much better franchise, though. They've been far more competent. They've been well-run for the most part. The Knicks have not. This year, though, Celtics taking an L. And I love Jackie Mack. And listen, I love BS. That's a bad job if they didn't mention Tibbs and they're doing the Coach of the Year stuff. I don't want to hear about Quinn Snyder. I don't want to hear about Monty Williams. Tibbs the Coach of the Year. So I, I didn't hear them. And I love those two, and I'm probably going to listen in the next couple of days. Because anytime Jackie Mack goes on with, with Bill, I love it. I think it's fabulous. But they should have absolutely mentioned Tom Thibodeau. I mean, I, I don't know how you have a Coach of the Year discussion and his name doesn't come up. That I do not know. We got a loaded show. More voicemails to get to. Tons. We got reaction from a good weekend for the Yankees that was soured on Sunday. I mean, that's what happens when I'm not at the game. I'm there Friday. I'm there Saturday. All sorts of good luck. All sorts of good vibes. Sunday, I leave Baltimore. The Yankees lose. The Mets, brutal weekend against the Rays. Did not cooperate and help the Yankees out at all. And now they got some injury woes they're dealing with with two of their better hitters. So we got you covered with all the baseball. We'll set the stage. We know it's going to be Knicks and Hawks. That is the matchup in round number one. And it's a winnable one, the way I see it, for the Knickerbockers. Michael K, voice on television for the New York Yankees. 
Michael K. show is going to join us. We'll have Molly Walker a little bit later on for the Giddy Islander fans. You notice there are a couple of key catchphrases for this particular show. There's a whole lot of Giddy going around. Giddy Nick and maybe a little Giddy Islander in the process. Coming up next, the New York weekend in baseball. And the Yankees, I think the moral of the story is you got to have me around more often than not. We'll come right back. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on Cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on Cars.com. So I was down in Baltimore over the weekend, and I can't stress this enough. I absolutely love Camden Yards. Camden Yards is just incredible. I could not have had a better birthday weekend from throwing down some beverages. The Eddie Murray IPA that I was down at Camden Yards was spectacular. The seats we had at both games, I mean, I'm sitting right behind the dugout. I'm like 15 rows behind the plate. That worked out beautifully. And getting a couple Yankee wins, getting some Old Bay-style Maryland Krebs, which I destroyed on Saturday. And it even got to a point where I was feeling the love to the point that a listener of the podcast and my former radio show, a man in his 70s who had one too many cocktails, decided to grab me at Pickles Pub and give me a smooch on the cheek. That is right. That happened. I didn't know what to do. You know, it's one of those instances where you're like giving them the pound and you're dapping them up and you don't know, you don't know what's coming next. And I got shit for that all weekend. How'd you let the guy kiss you? It's like, well, what do you, what do you want me to do? I, I can't tell you folks that I was fully planning on the fact that I was going to get a smooch on the cheek. You know? Did not expect that. So it was uh, quite the birthday weekend. But for the Yankees, all in all, good weekend. Not a great weekend because of what happened on Sunday. Friday, real good win. Urshela comes off the bench. Heroics, three-run homer. Saturday, Domingo Herman was brilliant. The Yankee bats, specifically Aaron Judge, dialed in. Judge had a hell of a weekend. Hit two home runs on Friday night. Hit a homer on Saturday. Hit a homer on Sunday. All of a sudden, you look at Aaron Judge's numbers They're exactly where you expected them to be. And the Yankees now need Aaron Judge more than ever because you look at their lineup, and we found this out on Friday when I was driving down to Baltimore, and you've obviously experienced it over the last few days. Two guys in that lineup, one far more important than the other, John Carlos Stanton, Aaron Hicks, injury concerns. With Stanton... We're talking about a minor leg issue, but with Stanton, you never know what a minor leg issue could be. And that's why I always pause and I always hesitate when I hear folks suggest, should he be getting more burn and time playing the outfield? And I see why the Yankees are hesitant to do so. He can't stay on the field. It has been an issue for John Carlos Stanton the minute he's put on the Yankee pinstripes. Too many fluky injuries. Hopefully, the Yankees were just very cautious this weekend. When I'm watching the game Monday night against Texas, he had better be out there. 
But the Yankees are going to need Judge if you're not going to have Stanton and you're not going to have Hicks. And let's be honest, from what we're hearing about this wrist injury for Aaron Hicks, the severity could be similar to what Mark Teixeira had to deal with in the 2013 season. And if that's the case, Aaron Hicks is done for the year. If we're talking about the exact same injury that Teixeira had. I am not overly optimistic that you're getting Hicks back at any point soon. And the big difference between John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Hicks is the Yankees are going to miss Stanton a lot more than they're going to miss Hicks. Hicks has not hit all year. I know he's a switch hitter. I know he's got some pop. He's played terrible. But it will stress one of two things for the Yankees if he's out for the remainder of the year. Do they have to go and get a veteran outfielder? Do they give Estevan Florial a shot who has just made, you know, his AAA, you know, I don't want to say debut because he might have been, I don't even know. Actually, it probably is his debut because last year didn't have the minor leagues because of the alternate site and all the stuff with COVID. They want to get him more bats at AAA. That's why Florial didn't get the call up when they put Hicks on the injured list. The point being is the Yankees are going to need help in the outfield. I've been saying that for a while. This injury only intensifies that. And as a whole, over the weekend, you love judge hitting. I think you've gotten better at bats from Sanchez and from Clint Frazier over the last few games. And they're scoring runs. They're doing something they really haven't done much of all year. They're starting to get the bats going. Sunday was one of those days. Yankee pitching's been brilliant. It's stunk on Sunday. Montgomery, who is my guy, I love him, was awful. You get a 4 nothing lead, you give up two. Then you get a 5-2 lead and you give up another two or three. It's a lousy start. And it felt like everything the Yankees were throwing was getting hit, and it was getting hit hard on Sunday. You want to sweep a team like the Orioles. They're awful. But when you keep winning series, you're going to take it. And the Yankees now have won a bunch of series in a row. They beat the Astros two out of three. They beat the Tigers, what was it, three in a row. Uh, They beat the Nationals two out of three. They beat the Rays two out of three. They beat Baltimore two out of three. That's winning baseball. It's tough to knock a team when they're playing winning baseball. But you want to make up that ground on Boston. Who gave you an opportunity to do so. Yankees did not capitalize on Sunday. But two out of three is two out of three. Now for the Mets, when you win seven games in a row, you're almost waiting for a little regression. And I kind of had a feeling the Mets were going to have a rough weekend when they had a lead on Friday against Glasnow. They let that game slip away. It kind of set a terrible, terrible tone for how the remainder of the weekend was going to go. Saturday, you had that Fugazi opener. So you weren't set up to play in that game. When teams try to go opener against Tampa Bay, it normally doesn't work. You can't outweigh the Rays. I've said that with the Yankees countless times. Yankees learned that the hard way in the postseason. The Mets, to a lesser extent, more numbers crunch with games, learned that lesson on Saturday. And on Sunday, Met bats not only go silent against Tampa Bay, it's the question of Conforto and McNeil now dealing with the leg issues. And with McNeil, they botched this. They botched it because he was dealing with something a few days ago. They took him out of the game against the Orioles. Tried pushing him back into the lineup, or maybe McNeil tried pushing himself into the lineup and was out of the game after an inning or two. Problematic. Conforto now dealing with a hammy. No bueno. 
Not good timing considering who's up next for the Mets over the next few days. You know, like the Yankees have to show you that they can beat the Tampa Bay Rays and the Houston Astros in big games and postseason scenarios. The Mets have that narrative with Atlanta because over the last three years in games that have meant something, Atlanta has cleaned their clock. And I don't want to hear about some meaningless wins at the end of last year when the Mets were out of it. In big games, money games, and the last three years we've seen it, Atlanta has owned the Mets. You're going to win this division. You need to beat the Braves. It's as simple as that. You need to beat the Atlanta Braves. If you're going to be a playoff team and you're going to win the NL East, you got to get over what's been ailing you with Atlanta. So this, to me, is... Tremendous theater right out of the gate on Monday, on Tuesday, and on Wednesday. First series with the Mets and the Braves. Set a tone. Make a statement. And, you know, it would be nice if you're not going to have McNeil, let's say, for this series. And you're not going to have Conforto, perhaps, for this series. Can Francisco and Lindor get going? Maybe this can be the big coming out party for Lindor. You need him now. You know, Aaron Judge is picking up the Yankees when a couple of guys go out of the lineup. Lindor hitting 190 and a 582 OPS in the middle of May, enough is enough. Let's start stringing some hits together, please. Some big hits. And I know offense is down throughout baseball. It's down. I get that. Mets have won with pitching. The Yankees have won with pitching. But you need your big players to deliver. You want to tell me guys at the bottom of the order, like McCann? Listen, he's been dreadful. He's got a 494 OPS. Dreadful. He's not making 30 plus million dollars a year. You're not counting on him to be a star. You're counting on Lindor to be a star. Enough is enough. Cut the shit. Let's go. Maybe somebody in the Mets organization has got to give him that pep talk. And I'm sure maybe somebody has. I'd light a fire under his ass. Get him going. Maybe that'll bring out the best in him. I hope this series for Lindor against the Braves brings out the best in him. Because this team has owned you. Not the momentum you want going into the series, losing three straight against the race. Fun games Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Buckle up. Buckle up indeed. So coming up next, we're going to welcome in a guy I've never had on the show before because we were competitors for a long, long time. He is the television voice of the New York Yankees. He has a drive-time radio show here in New York. Michael Kay will join us next. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, Restrictions all apply. See website for details. Let's welcome in a guy I've never actually had on the show because I worked at the competing radio station for basically nine years, but he's a guy who's been a part of my life and a whole lot of Yankee life. So we welcome in to New York, New York, the host of the Michael K show, the television voice of the New York Yankees. What's happening, Michael? 
All good. If you had had me on FAM, one of us would have been arrested. So I was going to say, I think I'd be singing for my supper or I would have had uh, all sorts of causes thrown more so your way, I think, than my way. Because, <laughs> you know, in the uh, in the grand scheme of things, Michael, you know, you, you might be a little bit more of a hot button issue than I would be. But listen, it's good having you on. And how about the fact that John Zustremski is in Baltimore, Maryland the last three days? Michael K. was not. How weird is that? I mean, it's it's kind of like the new normal, and we kind of accept it. And the weirdest part was Kenny Singleton lives in a town just outside Baltimore, so he must live 20 minutes away from Camden Yards. And this was a series he was going to do, and he wasn't allowed to do it in Camden Yards. So he had to take the Acela to New York and do the game with me in an empty Yankee Stadium while the game was in Baltimore, 20 minutes from where he lives. That's crazy. Now, for you, you've been a guy who's been on the road last 25, 30-plus years, calling the games, writing about the games. What city in particular has Michael K. missed the most on road trips? I think the greatest city in the world other than New York is Chicago. I mean, it, if I had another life to live, John, I would I would live it in Chicago. It's, it's the best. It's got great sports fans. It's got great restaurants. People are friendly. I love Chicago. And you know, some people be surprised. I, I love Boston, too. Boston's Boston great. is awesome, Michael. Boston yeah. is awesome. I hate saying it now because the old Yankee Stadium's gone. It's my favorite place to watch a game. Going to Fenway. There's just something about it. The nostalgia. Well, you're, pretty, you're a pretty tall guy, aren't you? I mean, the thing with me is... I, 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 like I am. Yeah, I know. It gets a little crammed, but I'm tall and lanky, though, Michael. So it makes a difference. You know, if I That's was tall and, you know, built like Aaron Judge, I, I don't think I'd be able to sit at Fenway Park. Right. I, I love Fenway. I love the city. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, there's so much history in that ballpark. So that I, I, I figure if we ever get back to traveling sometime this year, and I don't know the plans. I really don't. I would tell you if I did. I bet you those would be like the first places we go. Eastern Seaboard, stuff like that. An important series. And who would have thought at the beginning of the year that the Red Sox would have been an important series, but they've outperformed what we all thought. So, you know, they haven't even met the Yankees yet. I think the first time they meet is in June. So that could be a big series. We'll see. No doubt. This team basically a month and a half into the year got off to the dreadful start. Tough loss today, but all in all, playing much better baseball. Are you surprised, Michael, with the way they have pitched? I know Montgomery not great today. Struggled. Didn't have it basically from the first inning on. This pitching, though, has exceeded my expectations. Herman has looked good. Kuber has looked good. And then Cole, you know what you're getting every fifth day. He's the ace and then some. Are you impressed by the Yankees starting rotation or kind of where you thought it was going to be? I'm impressed. I mean, I thought, I, I mean, I, I picked the Yankees to get to the World Series, but I thought that they would hit their way there. They would win despite their starting starting pitching. And what's happened so far on this run, I believe they're 17 and eight in the last 25 games. It's because of their starting pitching. They've carried their hitting because the hitters have not clicked from one to nine. You know, there might be two guys hot, three guys hot, six guys ice cold. But after that first two times through the rotation, their, their rotation's been great. I mean, after they sent Herman down, he's been a different pitcher since he's come back. And, you know, Kluber is really close to what he was with Cleveland, I think. Uh, I think Tyone is still a work in progress. And, you know, as you said, today's game for Montgomery, that was a little bit of a disappointment because they had a 4 nothing lead for him and then 5-2. But I think he's a solid starter. And, and I think Garrett Cole is just a smidge behind Jacob DeGrom. New York has the two best starters in baseball. You're absolutely right about that. And I was banging the table a couple of years ago when Cole's a free agent. I thought he was the missing piece for the team. Michael, he's been better than advertised, though. I can't believe I'm saying this because he was a stud with the Astros. I kind of knew what the Yankees were getting 
but you just see it. He is like a baseball junkie. Like he's talking baseball. He's talking pitching. The sit down he did with your buddy, Coney. I, I felt like I was in like a pitching classroom and they're like the two professors going at it. Cole, though, you see any similarities to Roger Clemens, CC Sabathia? Because so far, a year plus into this contract, worth his weight in gold. Well, you know what? It's funny. But when you when you get this kind of contract, for me to say, you know, he, it's a bargain. If he doesn't get hurt, it, it's a bargain. And even if they get like six years out of him and God forbid he gets hurt, what this guy brings to the party, he's like a pitching nerd. He loves to talk it. He talks about it all the time with his uh, uh, with his uh, rotation mates. And, and if the clubhouse was open, he'd be the type of guy you go to that locker and you just talk pitching with him. He's like he's like a doctorate in pitching. I, I love hearing him talk about it. I love watching him pitch. When he pitched the other day and had the 12 strikeouts uh, against Tampa Bay, I haven't said it. It was magnificent. I was like, like tomorrow's game he's pitching um, for the Yankees against the Rangers. I look forward to those broadcasts more than any other one because when you get to see a guy who's at the top of his game, who's just so great at what he does and cares so much, how could you not want to watch that? So he's worth every penny so far. Do you have, in your years of doing the games, a favorite Yankee that you loved watching day in and day out? Obviously, Cole right now is on his way, but he's a year and a half in. But when you think about your career, Michael, is there one Yankee where you're like, man, I just loved watching him go about his business day after day after day? You mean of all time since I've been doing it? Yeah, since you've been doing the games, correct. Probably Mariano. You know, it was like watching an artist out there. And you could say, like, as great as Derek Jeter was, right? There are other shortstops that were probably better. You can make the argument. As great as any player you name on the Yankees, there was always going to be one in the history of the game. But when you're watching Mariano, you know that he's the greatest who ever did it. There's nobody even close. And to see him, I think I saw most of it, you know, his saves. I, I, I thought it was like a privilege just to, just to be a part for the ride. And, I mean, th there was nobody like him. And then when you see great – like the Yankees have a great closer now at Chapman. Every now and then he makes you sweat. Mariano didn't make you sweat that much. He blew some big games in his career, but he did it quick. And he didn't make you sweat. You weren't wondering about it. Uh, it was a pleasure to watch him all the time. He was amazing. This lineup, Michael, I hate the fact that they don't have a couple of lefty bats in there, but I understand Cash's point. You're not going to go and get a first baseman who is, you know, half the player of Luke Voigt just because he's left-handed. Right. They're going to win games. I expect them to be in the playoffs. Is this team, though, Michael, built to win in the postseason? Meaning, are they going to get those big hits? Are they going to hit those home runs? I, I, I don't know if there's a way to construct the team to try to win in October. Having guys to put the bat on the ball, though, guys like LeMayu and Urshela, it's a nice place to start. Can this lineup in your eyes, as currently constituted, be you know championship formidable in that way? Or do you have those reservations and concerns like I do? Because they're, in many ways, very alarming. The, the the thing that gets me, and I have this argument all the time on our radio show, most Yankee fans, most baseball fans hate analytics. But I get it. I understand it, and I accept it. But the, the strength of analytics is you're looking at something that's going to work over 162 games, the totality of the season. You're not looking at 10, 12-game chunks. That's why when Aaron Judge was 2 for 24 over seven games, the guys in the Yankee front office, they don't freak out. Because they've game planned that out over if he plays 150, this is what he's going to end up with. The thing I don't like about the analytics, though, you're building a team to win and get into the postseason. 
And then I hate when they say, well, after that, it's a crapshoot because anything could happen in a short series. Well, these guys are really smart. They've all got degrees from big Ivy League schools. Figure out a better way to skin a cat because the Yankees are built to win World Series. I don't like the fact that they go into the postseason with a crapshoot. So in answer to your question, yeah, they can win if everything continues to go according to, to form. But if, if they go into a five-game streak where they're not hitting, they don't move runners. They don't get big bases. They don't string together four hits. They win with home runs. And if they fall into a little bit of a slump, which is what happens, then they're not going to win. That's why, going back to what we said at the beginning, they're starting pitching. If it continues to be this good, maybe that could be the thing that pushes them past the slump that they have offensively in October. Do you think they need to become more left-handed? I didn't think they did because, you know, their right-handers could hit the ball out. But the one team that bothers me and why they lose to them a lot, Tampa Bay just bring big right-handed arms out of the Yeah, they're throwing 98, 99 miles an hour with the and nasty think, speed stuff. I think they neutralize the Yankee hitters sometimes. And, and you know, Kevin Cash doesn't have to worry about matching up out of the bullpen and getting that lane because there is no lane. There's only Aaron Hicks when he's healthy and Brett Gardner. In a perfect world, there should be more left-handed batters. But as you said, I get what Cashman says because I'd rather have a better player who's right-handed than a left-hander just to get a left-hander in. But my point is, well, go up, go and find a better left-hander. Because in the old days, before analytics, Brian used to always say he wanted big, hairy, left-handed sluggers. And that's like, you know, the, the teams I grew up with, Chambliss, um, Jackson, they had those left-handed sluggers. The teams you grew up with, O'Neal, Martinez, Posada, Giambi, I mean, O'Neal, they had, right, you know, guys that could, you know, hit right-handed pitching. So I think it's missing. Do I think it's the thing that will derail the team? No, but I think it could make it harder, especially if they run into Tampa Bay again. You've been doing these games for a long time. You've seen a whole lot of changes in baseball. Listen, I understand analytics as a place. You understand analytics as a place. Some of the changes to Michael, nobody puts the ball in play anymore. I mean, the idea of seeing first to third, the idea of seeing guys, you know, hit and run, it does not happen. When you're doing these games day in and day out, and you think about the game you grew up watching, and you think about what you're calling now. Does a lot of that in many ways annoy you? Oh, absolutely. I mean, if, if you totaled up a phrase that I say more than any phrase throughout the season, it's swung on and miss. I mean, all we see is strikeouts. And I can't believe that the game has evolved to this point where you can strike out 200 times in a year and you don't care. Because that's your job. They tell you not to care. And, that you know, I always try to go back and forth with the analytic guys and they go, well, it's better to have a strikeout than a double play. But then Paul O'Neill said the other day uh, on the broadcast, you know, if you hit the ball on the ground, there's a chance they'll throw it away. If you strike out, nothing can happen. So the Yankees still hitting to their share of double plays and they have all these strikeouts. So if you're going to have the strikeouts, the trade-off is you have to have a lot of home runs. And I'm not quite sure how the change of the baseball is going to affect it because I don't think the Yankees are hitting home runs and the whole league's not hitting home runs at the rate that they have before. So I don't like that. I don't like the strikeouts. The games are slow. They, the, there's no base stealing anymore. Uh, there's no hitting the other way. That's why DJ LeMayu was such um, a godsend. The godsend. God he was enthralling to Yankee fans because this was like the past coming to life. I, I can't even believe they signed him because he doesn't do the things that they want batters to do, which is, you know, launch angle and hit it out. He's a, he's a throwback. The two guys you work with. And I love this story because you tell it all the time with O'Neill. 98 postseason, 
comes on your show right before game four, right? That critical El Duque start, down 2-1, 114 wins, going to go right down the toilet. If I would have told Michael K back in 1998, when you're interviewing Paul O'Neill, that you would basically spend 20-plus years doing games with him, would you have believed no. that comment if I made it? No. No, because, I mean, he was so adverse to talking with the media. I mean, when he when you did get him, you, he, you know, he could really explain things, but he never wanted to talk when he was hot. He'd be good after losses, not after wins, because he believed in jinxes. And that's why he wanted me to interview him on the, on the pregame show for the radio on game four. He said, we got to change it up, Michael. And then after they won, I had to interview every single game after that, right through the World Series, because they didn't lose after that. But I just didn't think he had the personality for it. I didn't think that he would want to do it. And I think he loves doing it now. I don't know if it comes over the air, but he really does. Absolutely. No, yeah. it's fun. And the dynamic between you and O'Neill, and then you got Coney, who is like this professor of pitching. I mean, listen, I loved watching him. The guy's the ultimate gamer. 96, game three. I mean, you don't need me to recite it. But with Coney, did you see as you were covering him? You know, obviously, he's a very smart guy. He's very analytical in that way. You see broadcaster in him? You know what? I, I thought he could do it, John. Uh, but I thought that he would probably um, maybe get into coaching uh, if he could corral himself because he was a little bit of a wild child and he obviously has corralled himself, but the way the game has changed, you can make so much more money as a baseball player doing television. Coaches don't make anything. And the amount of work that you put in, I mean, it, it's like a 20 hour day. You never stop reading the analytic readouts and stuff like that. I think personally, he'd be the best pitching coach in the game because he could really tell players, this is how I did it. This is what, this is the mistakes I made, but I, that's why, and I don't mean this as an affront to anybody else, John, he's the best analyst in the game. I, and that's I even disagree. the national. I don't disagree. He should be doing the world series. That's how good he is. Nobody breaks it down like him. He's got a wicked sense of humor. He just knows what he's doing. He, he's got pop culture down like this. I love working with the two of them. I really do. You got to talk me through this, and I'm amazed that you're able to do it. You're doing all these Yankee games, and you know the element in the world we live in in your talk show where the Knicks are playing, the Mets are playing. You get on the air, and you're comfortable. There's no problem. How much after a game, Michael, are you like, like a crazy man thinking, oh, I got to be caught up on this, I got to be caught up on that? Has, has that ever been overwhelming for you throughout your career and trying to balance both? It, it is overwhelming at times. Uh, I DVR a lot of games, and I don't watch the whole things, so I'm going to be honest. But, you know, I'll read stuff when I get home and see, oh, this is what happened in the Nick game. It turned in the fourth quarter. I'll fast forward to that. But I feel like I should not go in not knowing it. The only thing that I hand off is hockey. Don has hockey. He's a genius at it, and I just don't even know it. So that's one sport I could put to the, put to the side. But the other stuff, I want to stay on top of everything. And as I get older, to be honest, I don't know if I could keep up the pace because, like, most days, you know, I, I get to the stadium at, like, 1.15, and I get out of there, like, 11.15, pull into my house at 12.15. That's a long day, and I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, so it, it wears you down a little bit. Wears you down. I totally get that. Now, for you, what do you see yourself doing longer, the Yankees or the talk show? You know, I love doing them both, to be honest with you. But the talk show is more work because you have to keep up on every single. Um, every, yeah, it's every day, too. Mike. Every, every, day. every day. And, you know, in baseball, even if I did 162 games, which I do, I don't. 
I'd still have six months off to recharge. But once the baseball season's over, I'm still doing five days a week on the radio. So I would say the show, I've thought about this a lot. I, I think the shelf life for a radio host, there should be a limit to it because I think the, the key audience that you want to get is 25 to 54. And I'm already past that key audience. And I hope that I don't look like the old guy on the lawn. That's kind of why we have Peter there because he's not the old guy on the lawn, but uh, I don't ever want it that I don't ever want to get bored with it and, and not have the energy that I have. And when I see that happening, I'll probably say that's probably it. What competition ratings wise have you enjoyed more Mike over the years or now recently with their new show? I really enjoyed the Mike thing because I, I was that. the underdog then. So the underdog, you know, if you lose, you lost, you know, you gave it a good shot because Mike was, you know, he, he invented this essentially, you know, he was the king. And to just to, just to try to knock him off was fun. And as we were getting closer and closer, I, I couldn't even believe it was happening. And, you know, I never got a chance to listen to him once we started going up against him. But I, you know what, I, I'm not sucking up to anybody. I know Mike doesn't like me. I consider it an honor to have competed against him. I really do. I, I just thought you're going for the, you know, you, you're going to the top of the mountain. You're trying to, you're trying to scale the guy. At the top of the mountain, what could be more fun than that? You know, I, I loved it. I really do now. I don't want to lose to Craig. I mean, he's the guy who came back, and and I I had the lead, and Mike was retired, and you figure, oh, you're going to have a couple of years where you could relax a little. With Craig, you're not going to relax. Craig's really, really good at this. But uh, I think there's more pressure now because I was the one that was in first. Mike was always the one in first, so I didn't have the pressure he did. I don't, I don't even know if he thought it was pressure. But I feel more pressure now than I did trying to chase Mike, if that makes sense. And it makes sense. A little innocent climb, basically. For yeah. Me. That's yeah. basically what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, you got to be loving the fact, by the way, on your flagship radio station, that the New York Knickerbockers, a four seed. I mean, and I know you're tight with Brini, who came on a couple of weeks ago. The idea now that we get Breen and Clyde Michael doing Nick playoff games, I, I feel like I get my eyes checked, you know? Like, that's uh, what world do we live in when the Knicks are? And you know this. When the Knicks are good and they're humming, everybody's got Nick fever around town. Everybody. You're, not, you're, you're probably too young. Maybe you're about the – I mean, when they were great with Riley. Well, that was Riley. That was my coming of age, basically, Michael. That I was, was doing Riley's. pre and post game for MSG. I was at the guard. See, that I do not remember. I forgot yeah. that you were doing pre and post for the Knicks. I wow. mean, it was like the place to be. That was the ticket. Everybody wanted to be in Madison Square Garden every single game. And if you looked at ratings for the Yankees and the Mets back then, John, nobody watched the games until the Knicks well, were Well, Michael, done. let's be honest. Baseball season didn't start until the Knicks were eliminated. Didn't Absolutely. start. Absolutely. Now, we're curious. We were talking about it today. Uh, during commercials, I wonder who's going to have a higher rating today, the Yankees and the Orioles or the or the Knicks uh, playing their final game to get the number four spot. Well, was the Knicks game on ESPN and MSG? Yes. So uh, are we counting both? Yeah, you can combine both, them both, I think I it would guess. probably rate higher would be my guess. I, I wonder because I think the Yankees, because they've been winning for so long, probably have supplanted the Knicks in that end. But Knicks fans are so starved because uh, when you were doing the talk show, if, if you talk Knicks, you could talk Knicks for four hours and the phones would never die. Nick fans are maniacs. And that's with the team being terrible for a yeah. long time. Yeah. Now that they're actually relevant and fun and they play hard, what a concept. For you, I've always wanted to ask you this because you did radio with John for forever. You're doing radio during the heyday, the glory years of the 90s. And then you do television. 
Was there any reservation for you, Michael? Because you guys had so much success. Ain't broke, don't fix it. And I get it, TV, it's glamorous. People see your face, the whole deal. But as you were going through that process, what, in 2002 when Yes launched, did you have any hesitation, reservations, or were you fairly confident the switch would be easy? No, I didn't think it was going to be easy uh, because I was, not, I was not the lead guy. John was the lead guy. So when John Pelopelli wanted to hire me, I was going to be the lead guy. And I'd never done TV, ever, except for the MSG pre- and post-game, you know, even on the Yankees and the Knicks. But I'd never done play-by-play. So it's a completely different art if you want to, like, sound like that. But the, the, the worst part of the decision to me, I loved working with John. And when Let I, me guess, giving up the playoff games. It's got to be, right? Well, I, I always say it in this way. You dated the girl the whole year, and you got to watch somebody else make out with her. It's awful. It's the worst. And, like, I do the pre- and post-games for yes, but it's not the same thing. You're sitting there and you feel like left out, but that's the price you pay. Uh, and it's weird because when you're a play-by-play guy in radio, you're the star. The play-by-play guy on TV is not the star. He's the point guard. I'm dishing up to Paul and, and David so that they can make these great points. And you don't have to describe the uniforms like I used to because you could see them. So the Midnight a, Blue Cap, the interlocking yeah. NY. I missed that. No that's name, of course. On 770 going to bed, Michael. Way too many years here and that. Yeah. Uh, so it, it was, it, I, I wanted a new challenge. And, and, and like I, like I told John, when I told him, listen, if this was going to be my job for the next 40 years, working with you, being your sidekick, I'd have been cool. Cause all I ever wanted to be since I was nine was a Yankee announcer. But then when yes came call, I said, well, this is a new challenge and you know, the Yankees are behind it. And I, I gave it a shot, but it, it was scary. It was scary. And the funniest part, you know, my mom was getting older then. And, you know, so I made the switch and she was nervous because, you know, I grew up poor and all of a sudden I'm doing okay. And I gave this great gig up for a try. You know, I'm going to try TV. Hey, Michael, I mean, listen, hopefully I'll have the same story for you, you know, 10, 15 years from yeah. now. Because I heard I heard something similar from my mother when yeah, I uh, changed scary. careers. Just saying. Absolutely. And so I said, um, I got to give it a shot. So the first year, the Yankees are on yes. They're not on cable vision. Oh boy, that's right. So my mom lived in a cable vision area. And she was like in her 70s. And she goes, You gave up a job. You're not even on TV. What did you do? What a stupid decision. I said, and then they finally settled that. But there was a there was a time there, John, in that first year that they thought that yes was just gonna go away and they'd go back on MSG because if they couldn't get on cable vision, they couldn't make it work financially. So that was the big gamble. But once we got on cable vision, we haven't looked back. Now it's 20 years. I'm going to guess your two favorite calls. One radio, one television. Okay. And this is just my guess. All right. To get your tokens ready, David Justice home run off Arthur Rhodes, 2000 ALCS. The Jeter walk-off in 2014. Am I, am I in the right ballpark here or not, not really? No, I don't think you are. Wow. Because those I- are like when I think Michael K calls. That call against Justice felt like I heard it everywhere. Right. And I felt like you nailed the Jeter call in the last game. Story. I, 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 I really like the, the, the Tino call in the 98 World Series, the Grand Slam. Okay. With the beer flying in the upper deck. Because I had like, I had such bad laryngitis that that actually physically hurt to make that call. Like I could feel pain in my throat. And before that knob lock had hit it. So that whole inning was great. Um, and then probably my favorite call is the Jeter 3000. Off of David Price. Okay. I mean, and then the second favorite on TV 
was probably Jeter's last hit. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Because I was at the game that night. And when right. I came back, I probably watched it like a zillion times because it was a miserable year for the Yankees. Right. But that was like, it was like saying goodbye to your childhood in many ways. That last, it was weird. Because you remember, Michael, it was supposed to pour all day. Yeah. And of course, Jeter, last game, skies open up. It's beautiful. And, you know, he gets the game-winning hit after and, a blown save in the ninth inning. And the exact opposite happened to A-Rod. The skies yes. opened up uh, like it was the end of the right. world. <laughs> sounds about right. Final one. I heard from Mike Breen, and I've heard it now on your radio show, that you are getting into golf. My friend, as somebody who stinks, and, you know, I've gotten into it the last couple of years. Michael, I know you're competitive. I know you want to be great at it. It's so much fun. Stick with it. It's enjoyable. Where are you right now uh, in your golf quest? Are you into it? Are you ready to abandon ship? Are you somewhere in between? Because I don't want you to abandon ship. It's too fun a sport, Mike. It's too fun. Well, I, I'm a, I got a lot of quit me. Um, oh, come on. <laughs> even the teachers, you know, my, my instructor said, yeah, I can see quit in your eyes. So I'm actually taking the lessons with my wife. So I'm three lessons into a five-lesson thing. And I, I got to tell you, it's like so intense. There's nothing like intuitive about it. Like you got to like, where's my hands? Where's my hip? Where's my weight? I don't know. Like I, I would probably like give it up. But Don predicted I'd give it up on the oh, air. So, so now, now you got to prove him wrong. There you go. I got to prove him wrong, right? Even if I hate it, I've got to become a scratched offer now. But in all seriousness, it's one of those things for me. It's where I see my friends. It's like, and especially last year with COVID, it was the only time I'd be able to go socialize. It was outside. It's four hours. If I'm not working, I'll have a couple of drinks on the course. And it's just like. It's that great social hour, Michael. You're a well-connected guy. I mean, listen, just don't think you're going to be able to keep up with Breen, who is a stud. Like, if you think right. that's where you're going, you're screwed. But if you want to have some fun, the good shots, as bad as I may be, they keep you coming back every time. At it, least it's, for me. It's funny. You, you mentioned Breen, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to do it. Because, like, I, I've known Mike 40 years. He's if, if he's not my closest friend, he's in the top three, you know? And, like, all my college buddies that we were all – friends still he goes golfing with them and i'm never asked because i don't golf and i said you know what i gotta get into that so gotta I, write I, that wrong yeah yeah so even if i'm lousy if i make it a thing that i'm lousy so what i'm not nobody expects me to be great that's how i went into broadcasting if i'm lousy i'm lousy nobody expects me to be great i was pretty a wild hey pretty wild just saying you and mike breen college buddies fordham Dreamed to be in the Yankee voice and the Nick voice. And here we are 30 plus years later, 35 plus years later. And you guys are still taking names, kicking ass. I'm looking during the break today. I, I look, somebody sent me a, a feed of how they honored Mike uh, at the garden, you know, after the hall of fame induction. And so I'm looking at it, what they're saying. And I can see, you know, he's waving and you can see he's getting emotional and I'm getting choked up. And like my, my producers count me down five seconds on the air. And I was getting choked up for my friend. I'm so proud of him because he's so good. I mean, he's done more finals than anybody, even more than Marv. Couldn't be more proud of him. I mean, I couldn't be more proud if, if it was me. That it's him. I love that he's that this is happening for him. Thanks so much for doing this. Uh, I hope to hear the next time we have a conversation that your golf game is progressing. That's you and I will golf. For. We'll golf together. We'll bring. Well, I was going to say, me and you can go hack it up together. It'll be a disaster. That's all, right. all the more reason to do it. But thank you so much for doing this. This was a blast. And now that the embargo is lifted, Michael, you know, don't be a stranger. Good luck with this, man, really. 
Thank you. That's the great Michael K. We got a lot more to do. Voicemails coming up. Knicks, Yankees, all that more. New York, New York, right here. Ringer Podcast Network. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes has arrived in IMAX. What a wonderful day! This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. They stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Now playing only in theaters. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. So before we get to a couple of listener voicemails, Brooklyn now, two seed. They take care of business. They hold off the Milwaukee Bucks. And the way it's shaking up right about now is Brooklyn going to have to wait and see about their first-round matchup. Is it going to be Durant taking on Russell Westbrook? That would be fun. That's the matchup, quite frankly, I'm rooting for. I know some would maybe want to see Boston in there. Because some Net fans have this, you know, complex about the terrible Pierce Garnett trade. Maybe want a little revenge, even though it's a different regime and it feels like another lifetime ago. I mean, the Nets are going to be any of these four teams. I don't care how terrific Washington has been over the last month. The Nets are not losing to Washington. And to me, what's encouraging about Brooklyn getting Harden back right out of the gate is that he looks pretty dialed in. He looks comfortable. He's doing his thing. and the key for this Brooklyn team is the idea of these guys getting in game shape, staying in game shape, and being able to rock and roll. That's the key for Brooklyn. They're playing every other night now. they got to be ready to play. They can't be coasting. Kyrie, I know, wants to save the world. Kyrie, maybe put that on hold for eight weeks and try and win a championship for your team. And then you can do whatever the hell you want to do in the offseason. I mean, when I hear some of this stuff coming from Kyrie Irving, and listen, I'm a guy who wants to have perspective. I understand, and I live in the toy store. I don't live in reality in many cases. You make $35 million a year. Time to go to work. It's go time. No nonsense. No different platform. Let's play basketball, and let's win. That's what I'm telling if I'm Kevin Durant. Kyrie, you want to go save the world? Save the world in the offseason. We got to be ready to rock and roll. Voicemail time. Part two. It was Giddy Nick right out of the gate. We'll see what's in store for the nightcap. Who's on the horn? Hey, JJ. Steven Sunnyside, first time call. Great seeing you at the Yankee game a couple of weeks ago. It's been too long after a year uh, seeing you back in uh, SNY newsroom. With the Knicks, very excited. I can't tell you the last time I was just pumped up for the playoffs. They took care of business this weekend. Big thing for me, JJ, and I want to spoil it. I want to enjoy this ride. I'm hoping for a first-round series win. Just looking to the future, Nerlens Noel has been such a pleasant surprise for the New York Knicks. It's making me think, and I want to get your thoughts on this, JJ. If you're the Knicks in the offseason, do you think about bringing Noel back? I think, obviously, signing Randall to an extension is a lock. Do you think about bringing Noel back? And is Mr. Robinson a, a trade chip? That's one of my thoughts here. Out of Burks and Bullock, which one do you want to bring back? I like Burks a lot. They've both been great, fantastic. I just want to get your thoughts. What do you think about the Knicks' future plans? Stevie and Sunnyside, bringing the heat. I love you, buddy. It was great seeing you at the stadium a couple weeks ago. And you're fired up about the Knicks' future and the present. Can't blame you on that. I can't believe Nerlens Noel has played as well as he has and has given the Knicks 
a suitable replacement, at least in the short term, for Mitchell Robinson. I think the Knicks still have big hopes and big plans for Mitchell Robinson. I think Noel is far more of a stopgap type of player. But he's been terrific. He and Taj Gibson, in many ways, have been the unsung type of heroes for this team. Because they're tough, they get after it, they board, they defend. And they have taken on the personality of the head coach. Listen, Gibson has done that for years with Tibbs in the Chicago days. And Noel has fit right in. And I think it's an easy, easy answer to your second question. It's Burks. Because of his shooting touch. I have a lot more confidence in Burks knocking down the outside shot than Bullock. Bullock, though, has come on these last couple weeks. But if I'm keeping one of those two, it's Burks. Who's up next? What's up, JJ? I heard you and Ian talking about the Knicks being one player away with RJ and Randall really making a big step this year. And I was wondering if you thought that next player needed to be Alonzo Ball or Dennis Schroeder type or a big splash guy like Dame Lillard or Zion down the road. Let me know. Love the pod. It's an excellent, excellent question. In a perfect world, it's the megastar. Because the NBA, as we know, is a star-driven league. If you want to win a championship, if you want to get to the top of the mountain, it's about talent. Yes, the Knicks are well-coached. Yes, they've played insanely hard. Yes, they're very easy to root for. They right now are not a championship-caliber team. They're a playoff team, but they're not a championship-caliber team because you got to have one of those dudes. That's just the way the sport works. It's the way the sport has always worked. So if you're giving me an option between those two, yes, I like a Dame or Zion more so than Alonzo Ball. I also think now with the NBA, there are ways to get around moving contracts. We see it all the time. Get somebody in here who can play the guard position and can light up the backcourt. And if it doesn't work out and somebody more appealing comes down the road, you'll address that question then. I can't, if I'm the Knicks, not make a move, not try to upgrade my team and be like waiting, hoping, praying someone's going to come and play for me. I wouldn't dictate the terms that way. If I'm running the team, but what do I know? Who's up next? What up, John? It's Billy from Queens. Love you. Love what you do. But I'm in the gym this morning. I'm listening to your interview with Ian O'Connor. And you have the audacity to say that the Knicks are the number one team in New York. The number one team in New York above the Yankees? That's a global brand. The Knicks have been irrelevant, unwatchable for 15 years. All of a sudden, they get a 4-5 or five seed. They're about to get bounced in the first round. And you're talking about how they're the number one team in New York? I get you're a homer, man, but it's just getting ridiculous. Come on, dude. Be real. Go Yanks. Go Nets. Peace. Well, Billy's failing to realize that I'm as big a Yankee fan as you're going to find. And the point I was making is from a buzz standpoint. The Yankee brand, yes, is going to supersede even the Knicks. Yes, globally, worldwide. I get that. It's the winningest organization in all professional sports. My point is, when the Knicks are good, they dominate conversation. Dominate. In a way that the other teams in town cannot do because of that split dynamic we have with the Yankees and the Mets and that we have with the Giants and the Jets. I know the Nets are trying to grow and build their brand in Brooklyn. But for many, they haven't hopped on yet. It's a smaller demographic. It's a smaller piece of the pie. My point is this. When the Knicks are good, 
They're the number one team in town. From a buzz standpoint. Not from a brand standpoint. From a buzz standpoint. Who's next? Here you JJ. This is Jack calling again. I'm a Yankee fan. I'm not a Mets hater. Obviously, DeGrom is the best pitcher in the game, and I love you saying that DeGrom and Cole are the two best pitchers in the game. But is that, like, for real? Like, if, if someone got the phone to you and they said right now, all right, Shane Beaver for Cole, straight up, you're not doing that. Or Bauer or Darvish. No way. Like, for real. No way. You think that nope. Cole is the second best pitcher in the game? I'm not saying you're wrong, but I'm also wondering if this is a bit of Yankees bias that I'm all in on. I'm a Yankees fan. Nah, that's since, bullshit. Since I'm four years that's old. That's absolute bullshit. But give me your thoughts, bullshit. honestly. Love the show. See ya. It's very, very easy to tell. Appreciate that. That's absolute nonsense. Look at the numbers the last two years to Garrett Cole. Look at the way he rises to the occasion, pitches on short rest is a leader within that Yankee clubhouse. He is the second best pitcher in baseball. Bauer, give me a break. Darvish, very good. Not as good as Cole. Bieber, I mean, Bieber, are you serious? In a weak American League Central, he feasted last year. Over 60 games. He got in a big boy Yankee-Indian playoff series and urinated all over himself. Yankees pounded him for like seven or eight runs. Don't lecture me on Bieber being a better pitcher than Cole. He's not. DeGrom is the best pitcher in the sport. I own that. I acknowledge that. Clear cut number two is Garrett Cole. And we're lucky. As New York baseball fans, we have the two best pitchers in the sport doing their thing. And when DeGrom pitches every fifth day, it's an event. When Cole now pitches every fifth day, it's an event. I'm annoyed. I saw him opening day. I haven't seen him since in person. I almost feel like the next Yankee game I go to has to be a Garrett Cole start. Really simple as that. Who's up next? JJ, it's Anthony and Syosset. Uh, tremendous spot the other day with Carver breaking down the uh, gambling aspect of the playoffs and just two games from Sunday I want to point out. Tremendous job by the Islanders, not only to win it, to win it in overtime, but to win it in overtime with the Palmieri goal. You know, to Carver's point, if they're going to do anything in the playoffs, those acquisitions need to come through. And in the first game, they did. But as tremendous a job as that was by the Islanders, it was just as awful a job by the adopted team of the former J.J. After Dark radio program, the Vegas Golden Knights, to not get a goal in three full periods and an overtime uh, of, of the game one in your home ice. And that's terrible. That's terrible. They better bounce back the second game or else we're in trouble early with the hockey beaks. That much I can tell you. Always great hearing from our buddy Anthony and Syosset, who, yes, root style, no doubt, but has adopted, as have I, the Vegas Golden Knights as my team of choice because I love Vegas. The Vegas has treated me kindly over the years, and it's like my adopted home city. I want to see Vegas do well. Going scoreless on home ice in a playoff opener, not ideal. And we're going to do some Islanders coming up a little bit. Molly Walker is going to join us from the New York Post. And there's no doubt, you bring in two big players from the Devils. They got to step up when you're facing Sidney Crosby and the Bengals. Game one, so far so good. And 
Must be nice to be Lou Lamarillo. Make a trade with your old team. Game one in the playoffs, one of the guys you get. Walk-off goal. Did they use that term, by the way, in hockey? I kind of like it. Walk-off goal in overtime. They might not, but it does the trick for me. Does the trick. Two to go. Who's up next? JJ, Knuckles from the Jersey Shore. It's been a long time, my friend. The New York football giants are going 14-3 and during the regular season this year. My losses are at Dallas, at Kansas City, and at Tampa Bay. Very proud of you, JJ. Thank you. Wow, that's a blast from the past. My old pal Knuckles from the right field bleachers in the good old days at Section 39. Knuckles is a positive person. I wish I shared that positivity when it comes to the Giant record this year. No, I cannot see a 14-3 season. If the Giants go, let's see, it's 17 games now. 17-game season. If they went 9-8, and eight, I think they had a good year. 9-8, I think, would be a terrific year. That's going to throw me all out of whack, by the way, thinking about what you need to do in order to get to the playoffs. Because for me, even though it actually didn't apply with my Dolphins last year, 10-6, and six, that's usually my, my barometer of, all right, if you get 10 wins, you're going to be a playoff team. 90 to 95% of the time. What is it going to be now with a 17-game season? Is it going to be 9-8? and eight? Is it going to be 10-7? and seven? Is it going to be 11-6? and six? A lot of variables. So that'll throw me off for like a year or two until we get it down to a science. And trust me, with the NFL, I will have it down to a science in no time. That I can guarantee you. Last but not least, who's on a horn? Hey, JJ, Nick, Providence. Uh, look, I know I should be optimistic about the Mets and the Knicks, but really uncomfortable with optimism, and I don't want to jinx the team. But something else is bothering me, buddy. Something you said during that Van Gundy episode. Are you really driving a Volkswagen Jetta? Are you kidding me? A ball like you? A G like you? The second best podcaster at the ringer after Chris Ryan? A Jetta? I can't picture it. You're creeping through Brooklyn. You got your Gucci sunglasses on. You got your Paul Newman Rolex Daytona on your wrist. All the girls checking you out. And you're in a car that my wife would drive? Come on, man. You got to be kidding me. JJ, you need a superstar car, buddy. And you mean when Simmons signs you to that Lindor-sized contract, you don't throw in a Mercedes or an Audi as a sign-up bonus? Stuff with that. Doesn't you realize what an asset you are? I haven't seen a guy on the street. I'll have a talk with him for you, see if we can get you in a real nice car. You need a superstar car, buddy. Come on, that's what I want to hear. That's our goal for this year. All right, JJ. All seriousness, buddy. Show's been great. Keep up the good work. Thanks for the entertainment. Let's go Mets. Let's go Knicks. And hopefully the Jets are pretty good. Thanks a lot, buddy. Wow, Nikki. Destroying my car of choice. Listen, I'm saving for a wedding. I'm saving for real estate. I live in a neighborhood where your car is going to get nicked up if you park on the street. I think anybody who lives in the borough of Brooklyn or Manhattan or Queens and, yes, even Staten Island, if you don't have a driveway, some people don't know how to drive. Some people don't know how to park. I've had my car for the last five, six years. Just drove it down to Baltimore. It's great. I have all I need. And I am a ball when I walk on the streets. I got the sunglasses on, the AirPods, bobbing my head, giving you the Travolta walk. I like my car. Man of the people. We'll see about the next car. We'll see. But right now, I got bigger fish to fry, unfortunately. Because real estate in New York City, folks, not fun. Not a fun journey 
Not fun for your wallet. Not fun for any of that stuff known to man. So that's kind of where we're at right now. The Jetta, Bertha, as I love to call my car, is not going anywhere. Bertha's here to stay. When we come back, we'll set the stage for what's going to be a very fun week around town. And the Islanders, they have the buzz from a hockey standpoint. They're the one team left standing. And they win game one in dramatic fashion against the Pittsburgh Penguins. To break it down with us, Molly Walker from the New York Post, the hockey queen, is coming up next. All right, let's talk some hockey. We welcome in one of my favorites. She was with us the last couple of years in my old gig. Now she makes her way to the new venture. And quite the way for the Islanders, Molly Walker, to start off round one of the postseason. What's happening? Not much. I'm, I'm excited to be on your new show. Look at you. You got your own billboard in Times Square. Yeah, I, I mean, listen, that. I look a lot better in the billboard than I actually do in real life. <laughs> but, hey, the beauty of Photoshop. You know? what, a, what a transition. WFAN to a billboard in Times Square. Very happy for you. But, yeah, very eventful day. Um, not a bad way for the NHL playoffs to start in general. Three overtime games. Well, we all love playoff hockey. It yeah. gets everybody's juices flowing. From an Islander standpoint, were you concerned at all with the way they kind of finished up the regular season? They were kind of sluggish. They were struggling to score. Did you feel they had the capability of being able to flip the switch? Like, were you buying into that narrative, Molly? (laughs) Or did you kind of say, all right, new season, postseason rolls around Sunday, and we'll see what Islander team shows up? Well, in talking to Barry Trotz about it, I think he felt that once the team was officially in, they kind of got comfortable, and that's what what happened there as a collective team. But also the fact that they were really struggling to figure out their chemistry with the new additions of Kyle Palmieri and Travis Ajax. So this team is a very chemistry-driven squad, and I think those two additions – force them to shake the lines up a little bit. And some players were playing with people that they hadn't played a, a lot next to. So it took a while for things to connect and they needed a couple more practices to figure out the lines and the best line combinations and further figuring out each other's tendencies. So I knew that they were going to have like a nice week in between the re- end of the regular season and the playoffs. So I, I wasn't, I didn't buy into that narrative because even though last season when they came into the bubble, it was because that they got healthy, uh, but they spiraled at the end of the regular season too. Granted, it was because of a lot of injuries, but they were able to pick it right back up in the postseason and just got right back to the Islander style of play that makes them so good. So now to answer your question. <laughs> when that trade was made. Did you look at it with the Devils as a major game changer or were you kind of, you did? Oh, 100%. Just trust in Lou. That's honestly how I I look at it. I really do. I look at Barry Trotz and Lou Lamarillo as one of the most well-respected duos in in the NHL right now. And I, I genuinely feel that way. Lou has shown this tendency to reach out for players that he's had in the past because he knows them, he knows what they're capable of, and he knows that they'll run through a wall for him, which is something that both Lou and Barry can get out of their players. So I knew that when they brought Travis and Kyle over to Long Island, I knew that it was going to work out in their favor because they both knew what they were brought to do. They were brought to bolster the offense and to bring some more veteran leadership to this team. And even though they both kind of struggled with it, and I know Travis hasn't played, he's been scratched a couple of times, but we saw it today. Kyle Pomeri just broke through and came up clutch and 
I loved when they cut to Lou in the press box, just so even keeled. But you know, in his mind, he was like, yep. That's, he's that's doing what a I was silent fist pump. See, yeah. that's that's why he's a good poker player, probably, mm-hmm. Molly, and that's why probably. I stink. Because if that were me and I made that trade, and you'd be like, playoffs, "Oh, fist pump, <laughs> the air, hands yeah. up in the air," using some profanity that I actually can use on this podcast. That I oh, that's use exciting! On. Yeah, you never know when it's coming. I mean, I, I can't just drop a curse for no reason, but you know, it's, it's gotta, gotta be warranted. Effect. It's gotta Bingo. be warranted. Exactly. Um, this series now with Pittsburgh. There's history with these two teams. We know the Penguins have been in the playoffs. They're in the playoffs basically year after year after year, but the Islanders got the better of the Penguins the last time they matched up in a postseason series. What's the biggest X factor in your eyes? If the Islanders are going to win this series, and I took them to win this series because I got them at plus money and I want to have something to root for, (laughs) but what needs to happen after this game one win if the Islanders and Trotz and Lou and company are going to find a way to the second round? There's a couple of players that need to come alive for the Islanders. After today, Matthew Barzell needs to get back to playing like Matthew Barzell. He was, I wouldn't go as far to say invisible, but not making the kind of impact that a top line player like he does can and should be making in the postseason. Along with Barzell, Anthony Beauvillier and Oliver Wallstrom can be X factors. Beauvillier was a stud in the playoffs in the bubble last season. He came up so clutch for them and if he can do it again this postseason then the islanders are going to be cooking um and for the penguins it's just going to be a matter of shutting down that top line obviously and also the fact that varlamov didn't play today was a a little concerning but after talking to barry it sounded like it was a precautionary reason so semyon varlamov gets back in net for game two and probably going forward and it's going to be locked down for, for the Islanders. Their whole defense with Varley backing up is just going to be really, really hard for that very offensively gifted Penguins team to penetrate. So we'll see. Ceiling for this team in the playoffs. Is it winning a round? Is it a couple of rounds? Like, what do you think is their peak if everything goes right, Molly? Like, where, how far they could go? Correct. Well, if you look at my bracket, which... Oh, I did not see it. So there's a Molly Walker. So it's amazing. I only think of brackets for the NCAA tournament, but you're right. Baseball right. has one. The NBA yeah, every, has one. The every NHL, sport you got to The NHL's bracket. getting involved. They're joining the yeah. party. All right. So enlighten me on this this NHL playoff bracket that you have done. So uh, my dear colleague Larry Brooks and I, we always did it. We, we do it. We did it at the beginning of the season, and then we did it right before the postseason started. Um, I have the Islanders going to the Final Four. Oh, okay. Yes. So and back in the conference finals again. Yes, I have them going back to the conference finals. I have the Avalanche over the Islanders in six in the semifinals because I have the Avs winning the entire thing. And it's really funny because Larry texted me after I filed and he was like, you are such a homer. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? When it, when it comes down to it's that close, like I, I have, I have uh, the Islanders over the Bruins in the second round. And that those that's another two teams that are very close and really could just be down to the wire. So when it's that close, you know, I, I'm going to go with the Islanders. You're going to side with the local. I, I, can I am going to go with the local team. But obviously, I went to UMass, covered the UMass hockey team. Kale McCarr, huge fan. Would love to see him host, host the Stanley Cup with the Avalanche. So that's all. Look at you working in all the tie-ins there. <laughs> a little, a little Boston. Yeah. So not Boston College, Boston University. 
No, UMass. UMass. Jeez. Oh my God, I'm over till. I mean, oh. uh, so that was that was insulting. That, that was, was the biggest insult I, I, I've ever I, given. I am pretty insulted to be honest. Yeah, I can understand that. I can understand that. That's fair. That's like saying that I went to uh, I don't know Georgetown. Yeah. Or saying that I went to Villanova. Like, no, I'd, seriously, you talk to any you know Massachusetts college people. It's you gotta get it right. Even B B U B C would probably take it even more offensively if you mistook one for the other. Man, so yeah, if I say if you went to B C and I yeah, said B U or vice versa, mm-hmm. I can understand that. <laughs> um, before we get you out of here, I know you were dealing with all sorts of craziness last week when the Rangers mm-hmm. dropped a couple of bombshells on people Just involving their president <laughs> and their general manager and then their head coach. Um, from a front office standpoint. Do you think the incident with Wilson and with the Capitals spearheaded this? Or were we kind of in a position, Molly, where this sort of change was going to happen regardless? Dolan had been mulling over making that decision for more time than you would think, is what I've heard. So those Islander losses came into play then? 100%. He was furious about it. And the Bruins. And it, it boils down to two different things. One, the way that the team is made up, Dolan was not a fan of the fact that Gordon and JD sacrificed will and grit for skill and finesse time and time and time again. That's what the entire Rangers team is. They don't have any physicality. They don't have grit. They get bodied off the puck left and right. So he had a real problem with how the team was made up. And the other thing was a disconnect between Dolan J.D. and Gorton on the next step of the rebuild. Gorton and J.D. more so wanted to take their time, let the process run through. And Dolan was like, snap, snap, I want to be a Stanley Cup contender in the next two to three years. And he felt like they needed a complete culture change from top to bottom to get there. So that's what happened. Next day, coach. I give you the opportunity now to endorse a candidate. This is uh, this is a major endorsement you're about to get. We don't we'll endorse a... here. Well, listen, listen. I'm, I know you're unbiased journalist, of but you are the hockey journalist that I am bringing on the show, so you're allowed to pick a candidate. Who do you want coaching this team? Well, I Gerard, Gerard Gallant was the first guy in the door, first guy to earn an interview, and I think that speaks a lot of volumes because from what I've heard, Chris Jury has been aggressively – trying to fill front office personnel and reaching out to anybody that's on the top of his mind. And the fact that Gallant was the number one coach squeezed him in right before he went to Latvia for uh, world world championships, be the head coach of Canada. I think that it could be a really nice match because, you know, obviously John Tortorella's name has been thrown out a lot. That would be I, like Billy Martin, by I the way. I can't even Coming back, you. coming back. You it don't think be, it happens. I would be shocked. Okay. I would be absolutely floored, stunned, might even pass out if John Tortorella came back because, like we just mentioned, this is one of the youngest teams in the NHL. If they bring John Tortorella back, these young kids just won't even know what to do with themselves and John Tortorella's temperament. So I think they need somebody that's in between. David Quinn, John Tortorella has like a nice balance that can connect with the young players, but also has that kind of harsh temperament that inspires them to want to play for him. So I think it needs to just be like a a little bit in between. And I think Gallant fits that bill. He did a great job in Vegas, obviously was a tough task with an expansion team. And I think he did really well with that group. So we'll see. 
Molly Walker of the New York Post, thanks for doing this. Um, and is there a wager on the line with you and your coworker regarding the playoff bracket? I feel like there should be. I know you guys aren't going to the office, but maybe like a lunch, a dinner, a, I know. a bottle of wine. I feel like Honestly, there's got to be a wager on the line. Now that you say it, I might just text Larry and say you want to put some... Some, something on the line here. Uh, you have to. We you might. And you better win. It's Molly. a good idea. You come on the show, you it's better a good, win. It's you know? a good idea. I might just do that. It'd be, it'd be nice. <laughs> I'm always looking to encourage a wager any which of way Of course you are. Naturally. Are. <laughs> so thank you for doing this, and I'm sure we will catch up soon. Yes, thanks so much for having me. Good stuff all in all with Molly Walker, and I guess now I will forever remember that she is a UMass graduate, not a Boston College grad or not a Boston University grad, because, yeah, if somebody had thought that J.J. went to, I don't know, Georgetown or UConn or Villanova, I'd be annoyed. I think about the old school Big East rivalries. Like now, I mean, the kids who are in Syracuse, it's Virginia and it's Duke and it's North Carolina and Louisville. It's, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. I've embraced it at this point, but it's strange. It's absolutely strange. It's going to be a fun week. So what do we have in store this week? Mets Braves, gigantic, gigantic series. I know it's three of 18 and it's three out of 162, but when you are owned by an opponent, you got to snap and put that narrative to bed immediately. Mets have a chance to do that here in this series. You're going to beat the Braves. You're going to beat them in this division. You got to beat them head to head. Set a tone, go win two out of three games. And I know the Mets are struggling to score. And I know the Mets are going to have potentially a couple of guys out of the lineup this week. We'll have to see about McNeil. We'll have to see about Michael Conforto. But again, go win two out of three. And can Lindor do something, for goodness sakes? Holy moly, can he get going. Yankees in Texas this week. Four-game series. They've been winning series. Their offense is coming alive. And I think it's going to have to come alive. When you play down in Texas, runs are going to be scored. I expect the ball to be flying out of that place over the next couple of days. Go win three out of four. You got Cole going in one of the four games. Win three out of four and then come back home later on Friday. Big weekend against the White Sox. We'll have all the NBA playing stuff going on. And I'm trying to navigate now. And our friends over at FanDuel, I'm sure, all over this, as you know. New York, New York. Presented by our friends over at FanDuel Sportsbook. We call that a shameless plug. I used to in the radio business, but now I will call it a shameless podcast plug for our cool sponsor that I love so much. But I'm trying to handicap right now how I am going to get involved with the playing series. And I can tell you this. The team that I think a lot of people are going to be all over in the first round, Washington. I think a lot of people are going to be all over Washington here in this playing because they're red hot. And they will have the game coming up against Boston. Do we have lines yet for Tuesday? Let's see here. Do we have lines yet for Tuesday? And it will be Hornets, Pacers, Wizards, Celtics. I do not see a line on those games yet. Let's see. I'm surprised they don't have them up yet. Oh, we do. See, I should have known. I should have known. Our friends at FanDuel, they ain't messing around. Charlotte is a two and a half point favorite or excuse me, a two-and-a-half-point dog against the Pacers. I'm seeing the Wizards plus two against Boston. Oh, baby, I'm going to be all over the Wizards. I might lock that bad boy in immediately. I like the Wizards plus the two against the Celtics. 
And then I'm seeing San Antonio and Memphis. That's a three-point spread. That's a stay away for me. I might dive into that a little bit later on in the week, but that's a stay away. Right now, I know everybody's on the Wizards. That line being as low as it is, is telling. I actually thought they might open Washington as a favorite. And we'll see how the money's moving. We'll see how the lines are moving or whatever. But that's your opening line. So FanDuel, to their credit, ahead of the curve, giving you some playing magic here. And you have to wait a couple days before the Knicks and the Nets get it going. Before we say goodbye, my main man, the great Jeff Money. What up, Money? What's up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. This is going to be for Monday, May the 17th. I'm going to go in baseball. We're going to go with the Chicago Cubs, minus the 130 over the Nationals. It's going to be Azorle versus Lester. Now, Azorle, his last three outings, he's 1-1 with a 3.71 ERA. Lester's making his first start on the road, and the Cubbies are 13 and eight at home this year with an eight and three also against lefties. Cubs are coming off a road trip here, going for their home cooking. So give me the Chicago Cubs minus the 130. All right, JJ, out of here. Let's go. Jeff Money, I love the fact that the line is working with you. Open Chicago minus 130. It's now to minus 145. Um, the one thing with Lester, though, it's a revenge spot for him. Remember, he's a longtime Chicago Cub. First game back at Wrigley Field. I, in many ways, like to stay away at times from storylines like that. I'll give you a game I love tomorrow in baseball because this line makes absolutely no sense. How are the White Sox only minus 115 against the Twins? Keuchel against Jay Happ, they're only minus 115. I know the Twins have been awful. They're 11 games under 500. I am playing Minnesota tomorrow. Minnesota will absolutely be on my card because that line makes absolutely no sense. And to me, when a line makes no sense like that, you go the other way. And 7 out of 10, 8 out of 10 times, it's going to win. Fun show. We have a jam-packed week. So we're going to have a mayoral candidate joining the show. I know it's, uh, no, we're not diving into all of the hard-hitting issues. I'm not Joey Rose, you know. But Andrew Yang has some controversial sports takes that we're going to tackle on Tuesday. And we'll see if Andrew Yang can get my vote in a couple of months. He's going to join us. Kevin O'Connor from The Ringer, the NBA extraordinaire, is going to join us. Mike Woodson later on this week, who was on Thibodeau's staff and is now the new head coach at Indiana and was the coach when the Knicks last won a playoff series. So it's a jam-packed week. We're getting you ready. Knicks and Nets are going to be here before you know it. A little baseball along the way. This is why we do what we do. I'm back from Baltimore. The passion viewing year. We're going to start it with a bang. JJ out. We'll chat to you on Tuesday. Be good, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, 
Start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.